Father, we thank you that you are our one defense. Jesus, we thank you that, that you are our righteousness, that you give us a standing before the Father so that not only would we be forgiven, not only would we be made righteous, but you would enable us to call out, Abba, Father. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you've made it real to us. And I ask you to come, and as I read your word, Father, and as I seek to explain it, that you would forgive me. My sins are so many. And Lord, give us each the ability to hear your word. Oh, how we need you. We need you this hour. We'll need you the next hour, and the one after that. We need you to get us safely through this life with all of its storms. We pray for men and women in Louisiana. But Lord, you draw near to them. Lord, would you use this storm to build your church, to send your church, to use your church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Would you use this storm to draw men and women to yourself? Jesus, we look at our culture and we see so many storms and we pray, Father, that you would raise up your church in these days, that we would be peacemakers who sow in peace, and that you'd enable us to reap a harvest of men and women, one to faith in Jesus, the Prince of Peace and the King of Righteousness. Father, we face storms within us. Our hearts are busy this morning. Some of us have been up all night. Some of us went to sleep last night. We woke up and, and our first thought was, was back to that struggle, back to that fear, back to that anxiety. Jesus, we need you. Our hearts are busy. Calm us. And keep us in your love. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was nine years ago, uh, this next month, seems like nine minutes ago, but my son was a sixth grader at uh, Gamble Rogers nine years ago. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm glad it's not happening to y'all. But listen, sixth grade, he tries out for the basketball team at Gamble Rogers. He's in sixth grade. He comes home. Oh, Dad, I don't know if I made it. I don't know if I made the team. Well, son, don't you know that your Heavenly Father loves you? And don't you know that He made you? Don't you know that He gave you gifts and abilities? And don't you know that He has a purpose for your life? That's great, Dad, but I really just wanted to know if you thought I made the basketball team. <laughs> you know, in all of us, we go through life wondering, am I going to make the team? All of our life, we're left wondering, am I really in? 
Do I really have it? Am I really accepted? Am I really loved? And I have good news for you, that if you would take this truth that I'm going to teach you from God's word this morning, if you would take it deep into your heart, it has the power to drive out the fears, to drive out the doubts, to drive out the worries, to drive out the anxieties, and everything we run to, to try and satisfy our weary, thirsty, busy hearts. So that the next time you wake up in a sweat, wondering, am I going to make the team? You'll know that you know that you know that you have a heavenly father who loves you and cares about every area of your life. And that he is on his throne and he controls everything that comes to pass. And that he has chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit, and your fruit will remain. We're going to look at an Old Testament story. We're going to look at a New Testament passage. And we're going to look at one verse from the Gospel of John. We're going to see the truth that I'm going to teach you. That if you take it into the center of your life, has the power to change everything. It really does. So stay with me. You'll see this truth. Illustrated in the Old Testament, taught in the New Testament, and accomplished by Jesus. We're going to see it taught in the Old Testament. So turn to Genesis 25. We're going to see it illustrated here in Genesis 25. And I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Here's the illustration. These are the records... Of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. We looked at that story last week. We looked at that story and we learned that Isaac and Rebekah illustrate the point that I'm not Jesus. And, and you know, you're, you're not Jesus. But Jesus gives us the power to love. That we, we're Rebekahs. We're loved by Jesus. And when Jesus loves us, we're enabled to love others. We pick up the story after Rebekah comes on the scene. In verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Isaac knew there was a promise. He knew that God had said to his father, Abraham, that I'm going to give you descendants Your descendants are going to be so numerous that they'll be like the stars of heaven. You won't be able to count them. And Isaac, having heard the promise from his father that just as Abraham had a son, Isaac, that Isaac, you'll have a son. And Isaac looked at his life and he looked at his wife and he thought, Father, 
Will you answer the promise? Will you fulfill your promise? Will you be my God? Will you show up? Isaac's just like us, but he shows us what to do. He shows us how to respond. He prays. He prays to the one who had made promises to him because she was barren. And the Lord answered. The Lord answered. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it's so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. There's storms all around us. There's fears within us. We're surrounded by doubters. We're surrounded by dangers. Where do you go to find answers? Rebecca inquired of the Lord. Rebecca had a truth deep in her heart so that when the doubts and fears and dangers of life came her way, she went to the Lord. She inquired of the Lord. She built her life with a strong center, a strong foundation that was based on the promises and the presence of God in her life. And so she went and inquired of the Lord. And this is how he answered. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The God is doing not just biology in Rebecca's womb. He's doing theology in Rebecca's womb. He's teaching a distinction. He had promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first preaching of the gospel. He had promised in Genesis 3, verse 15, that his response to the lostness and sinfulness of the world was going to be to provide a Savior, a Redeemer. And that this Savior was going to be born of a woman. And that this Savior was going to come through a unique line of individuals, beginning with Adam and Eve. This line, this seed of the woman was going to continue until the time when the Savior would be born. The promise comes to Isaac and Rebekah that this other seed, the seed of the serpent, the one that rejected God, the one that worked against God, the one that hated God's people, that these two seeds were going to be dwelling in one woman, that Rebekah would have in her both the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. One son would be believing. And the other son would be unbelieving. Isaac and Esau were going to be illustrations of one people who would be chosen and another people who would not. It was a story to illustrate God's choice of one line of heritage that would lead to Jesus. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. A hairy redhead in the Middle East. 
You think he stood out? Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, heel grabber. How'd you like to go to middle school with that name? Heel grabber. Well, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob became a peaceful man living in tents. They wrestled in the womb, and they couldn't have been more different in life. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The parents play favorites, and it's going to be devastating in this family. See, we're going to be looking at Jacob over the next several weeks. We're going to see the devastation that comes through this family and how God is going to resolve it through his grace. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. The word Edom is very close to the word red. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. There is absolutely no comparison between the price that was given and the birthright that was received. Jacob sells his birthright. As the firstborn son, he would inherit everything that belonged to his father Isaac. He would have all the rights, all the privileges, all the resources, all the wealth. He would have the name and the claim to all that his father had. And he sells it for the paltry price of a cup of soup, a cup of Campbell's when he had access to all that it was his father's. What a tragedy. What foolishness to be driven by his desires, by his wants, by his needs, by what seemed good to him at the moment. So a heel grabber, a manipulator, a liar, a cheat, and a soup addict. These are, these are quite the people through whom God is going to bring the Messiah. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So there's the illustration. There's the story. Now here's the teaching from the New Testament. Romans Chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Rebecca also, and not only this, but there was Rebecca also, 
When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had done nothing, had, had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So here's the teaching. That God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his love, he chose you, and he loved you, and he saved you, and he'll keep you, and he'll give you a birthright and an inheritance without comparison. And he does it, not because of anything good in us, but according to his sovereign choice, his independent choosing of you, not on the basis of who you are, but who he is. That's the teaching. That God has chosen a people for himself, and Jesus has saved that people. He's done it. God chose a particular people. Jesus saved that people. He didn't just make salvation possible. He actually saved us. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures and the proclamation of the gospel that enables those who God chose in eternity past and Christ died for at a particular time and place to turn and receive him. It's all of grace. Eternity past to the time of Jesus to our time today. And so here's how Jesus accomplishes it in John 15, 16. We saw Jacob and Esau, the story, the illustration of the truth. We see uh, Paul's teaching of the truth. Here's Jesus accomplishing the truth. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You say, well, Dave, it was right here in this room where I made a decision to follow Jesus. I chose him. I decided to follow him. I decided to be a disciple of Jesus. Smiley was up here. He preached the word. I heard the word. I responded to the word. I chose him. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me I didn't, I didn't choose? I chose. I remember it. But the question is, why did you choose? Why did you choose? Well, I knew I was a sinner. 
Why did you know you were a sinner? Well, because the Bible told me I was a sinner. But why did you know that the Bible was true and that it was telling you the truth about yourself, that you were a sinner? Because the Holy Spirit made it true, made it real. He convicted me. He helped me see my sin. But why did the Holy Spirit come and confirm the, the testimony of the word that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior? You see where I'm going. Eventually, you land at the place where you say, it does not depend on man who wills or man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It's all a gift of grace from eternity past to eternity future. It's all of grace. It's all in the choosing, the electing by the Father for the Son. It's all in the choice of the Son to give himself for that people. It's all in the work of the Spirit who chooses the exact time and place when he comes and he says, excuse me, you and you and you, you need a Savior. And I'm praying that that would happen for some of you today. And I have hope. I have confidence. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know for everyone who puts their trust in Christ today, it's because God in his mercy chose you before the beginning of time. And he's ordained today when you would hear the gospel and respond in faith. Ephesians 1.4 tells us this. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him. The point I want you to remember this morning is that Jesus chose us and appointed us to bear fruit. Jesus chose us. Jesus accomplished it for us. Jesus is the one that we look to to understand how this work of God choosing is made real in our life. We look to Jesus. You know the story, the Disney story? Now look, you got to help me because I'm so confused. I thought I got it wrong at the first service. Then somebody told me I got it right. I need your help to know whether I'm telling you this right story. Who is it, which story is it when... The, the wicked person looks into the mirror every day and says, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Which story is that? Okay, it's, we got two different things. This is why I was confused. Is it Snow White or is it Sleeping Beauty? Which is it? Snow White has it. So I did get it right at the first service. Then I convinced myself I was wrong because everybody was looking at me crooked. So I got it right. Snow White. Okay, the wicked, was she a queen or was she just a witch? Which was she? She's the queen. She's the wicked queen. Okay, she's bad news. Every day, she looks in the mirror. She says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And every day, she's told, oh, you are. And then one day, one day, the news came back. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? I get my adrenaline shot of affirmation. There's another. You are fair, but there's another 
fairer still. And suddenly, obsessive comparison disorder begins to run amok in her heart. And it's the same with me. And it's the same with you. When we forget the gospel, when we forget what I've already explained to you briefly, maybe not so briefly, what I've already explained to you so far, that God in his love chose you from eternity past. Jesus Christ died to save you at a particular moment in time. He saved you. He did it. He accomplished it. And that he has now worked in your life to give you the opportunity to trust him. When you come to understand that story deep in your heart, it drives out obsessive comparison disorder. It drives out the destruction that comes when you look into the mirror of God's choice and you see anything other than Jesus. If that person had looked into the mirror of God's choosing and had said, I'm not chosen because I'm beautiful. I'm not chosen because I'm smart. I'm not chosen because of the school I went to. I'm not chosen because of the country I live in. I'm not chosen for any other reason other than Jesus. Obsessive comparison disorder is destroyed and our hearts are set free. It doesn't depend on man who wills or man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So many of us are dominated by our GPA. Our GPA, our God performance average. We wake up every day and we wonder, am I going to come through for God today? And so when we fail, when we disappoint, the people we love, when we don't come through, when we think that we've blown it and we can't ever be forgiven, our God performance average goes down and we're filled with despair. Or those maybe more rare times when we do come through, when we do love the people we love, when we are able to share our faith, our God performance average goes up and we say, oh man, God is really glad to have me on his team. We're filled with pride. Listen, I could go on. There's a lot of ways we get it wrong. But there's only one way. And he got it right. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. He got it right. And when God and his love chose you, he didn't do it because of how you stacked up with everyone else. He didn't do it by comparison. He did it by grace. And he didn't do it based on your performance. He did it by grace. It does not depend on man who wills or man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Let the gospel sink so deep in your heart. The security that you have in God's electing love. The security that you have in God choosing you, a people, for his own possession. In Jesus saving that people. In Jesus making that salvation available to you so that, yes, you would respond, but you would respond because his grace is at work in your life. Let that come into your heart. 
and drive out every other story that you'd tell yourself. Every other lie that you would tell yourself that I don't measure up. What if you don't? You do in Christ. You can in Christ. Let that come in. Let his righteousness reign and rule in your heart. Not a righteousness that you produce, a righteousness that he produced and credits to your account. Jesus, Jesus chose and appointed us to bear fruit. You say, well, look, all this talk about grace and God's choosing and God's electing and me not, me not being responsible for that choice, it just seems a little fatalistic. It seems a little too automatic. It seems, it seems like, you know, a little bit like que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It seems so just fatalistic. What are we, robots? I mean, listen, if God has chosen me and he saved me and he's going to bring me and he's going to keep me, if that's true, then what motivation could I ever have to make any changes, any improvements in my life and to work in the lives of others to try and help them improve? The greatest motivation ever. Love. Love. If it's true that God has loved you with an everlasting love, if it's true that Jesus was the demonstration of God's love for you and his willingness to suffer on the cross, to pay the penalty due you for your sin, if we had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we have now been justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. If that's true, then don't you see the love with which the Father has loved you? It wasn't theoretical. It wasn't potential. It wasn't possible. It was real as real as the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, as real as the blood of Christ shed for you, as real as the resurrection from the dead that Jesus did to justify you, as real as the love of His gift, so real is His love for you. Take it. Receive it. Believe it. That is the motivation for all the Christian life. That is the motivation that drives us forward, moves us forward, propels us out into a lost world to share with others this good news. It's not to gain brownie points. It's not to improve our GPA. It's not to have a better set of things to compare ourselves positively with others. It's by His grace. Grace in love is the greatest of motivations. And so what I want for you is I want you to know the birthright you have. And I want you to celebrate the birthright that you have. Now for some of you, your sin is the sin of sinners. You're like Esau. You're like Esau. You're pursuing pleasure. You're pursuing stuff. You're pursuing everything but the security and significance you have in Jesus. 
Your hearts are filled with busyness, worrying about things. Listen, you put your, send your kids back to school this week. Maybe you did some shopping. Did this happen? Oh, no, Mom, I can't, I can't have you buy me that backpack. I need this backpack. Because this is the backpack that everybody's wearing this year. Listen, I can't have you buy this phone for me. <laughs> as if it's such a small thing that we would buy a phone. I can't have you buy this phone. I need this phone. Listen, the only thing that changes when we go from children to young people to adults is the price of our stuff. And as long as we're still driven by a need for stuff, a need for material, it doesn't matter if it's a Campbell's soup can or a mansion. We're still driven by the same sin of Esau. Some of us have the sin of sinners. We build our birthright, we build our identity, and then we throw it away for stuff. But others of us, our sin is the sin of religious people. Our sin is the sin of Jacob. Our sin is the sin of the heel grabber, the liar the manipulator, the hypocrite, the fake. Jacob has a long way to go. We're going to walk with Jacob, and we're going to see God ultimately win Jacob over because of his choosing of Jacob and his love for Jacob. He's going to bring Jacob to trust and have faith in him. But he had to overcome his religious heart. He had to overcome his sin of being the one in charge of his life and manipulating and conniving and conspiring. And some of us have the sin of religious people. We're always trying to get one over. But you know what God offers us? God offers us a birthright. A birthright secured a birthright secured by the work of Jesus on our behalf, a birthright, a guarantee of God's forever love. Galatians 4, verse 4, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law. The Redeemer promised in Genesis 3.15 stepped into the world. He redeemed those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You know what that means? It means you have a birthright. It means you have a guarantee of God's love. In Jesus' work on your behalf, in justification, he declares you right with him legally. God, as judge, says you are not guilty. But in adoption, he says you have the birthright. You have the birthright. Your older brother, Jesus... Your older brother Jesus was the one to inherit all things, but he was willing to be despised and rejected and bear your sin on the cross so that 
the privileges, the rights of sons could be given to you by grace. And so that God could give you his family love. You could be a part of his forever family. You could have the birthright that that Esau despised and that Jacob thought he could manipulate him its way into. You receive it by grace. And if it's by grace, then it's secure. It's kept because you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You received it by the grace of the Father. He chose you for it. Jesus secured it for you. And God then applies it through the work of the Holy Spirit that now cries out, Abba, Father. Is that Abba, Father in you? Is that Abba, Father love in you? Do you cry out, Abba, Father? The words aren't in the prayers of Isaac and Rebekah, but the sentiment is, the love is, the dependence is, the faith is. They show us what Abba, Father prayer looks like. Isaac and Rebekah, they knew the Father's love. Do you? Does your heart cry out to your heavenly Father in dependence? Oh, what I want for you this week is to celebrate your birthright. To celebrate all that Jesus has done for you. I want you this week, I want you to take John 15, 16, and I want you to make it your prayer. Jesus, the pressure's off. The end of the struggle has come. The pressure's off. You, I didn't choose you. You chose me. I don't wake up every morning anxious, running into Gamble Rogers, whether to see if my name's on the list. I wake up every morning and I know that my name is written on the list of eternal life. I know that Jesus Christ has saved me. He's redeemed me. He's loved me. And that the Father has adopted me and given me the Holy Spirit. I celebrate my birthright. I don't despise it by wasting my life. I don't try and earn it by manipulation. I receive it through faith. And I make it my greatest joy. I take my identity as a chosen, saved, adopted child of God into the very center of my being. And you know what? Storms are going to come. Struggle is going to come. Sickness is going to come. Persecution is going to come. Doubts are going to come. Fears are going to come. And when they knock on the door of my heart, when peril or nakedness or sword, when suffering comes and knocks on the door of my life and I'm left to wonder, why is it so with me? Then I'll go like Rebecca in a, in a familiar, close relationship with Jesus and I'll inquire of the Lord. And he'll give me the answer that he has chosen me, and he's saved me, and he's adopted me, and my soul can rest secure in that. And when days of sunshine and blessing and prosperity come my way, 
then I won't boast, I won't delight, I won't delight in the stuff, I won't delight in the stew. I'll put it in its proper place, that it's a gift from my heavenly Father, and I'm grateful for it, and I'm thankful for it, but I don't put my hope in it. I put my hope in the salvation that God chose me, He saved me, He's adopted me, He's given me a birthright, that nothing I could ever have in this life compares to the eternal birthright I've received through Jesus. And so storms or sunshine, I can meet them both in confident trust. I'm not undone by the storms, and I'm not undone by the sun, but I rest secure in the Father who loved me and chose me, and the Son who saved me, and the Spirit who's come to be real in my life in His adopting love. Won't you celebrate your birthright? You didn't choose Him. He chose you, and He appointed you that you would bear fruit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in eternity past, there was a conspiracy together in heaven where you live where you get to decide everything. You conspired together and you chose a people. And when we had rejected you and run from you, you ran after us. You orchestrated all of history until that day. And when the fullness of time had come, you sent your son. And Jesus, you stepped into this world, fully God and fully man, and you did it. You saved us. Thank you. For some here today, the gospel was heard for the first time. They saw their sin. They saw their need of a Savior. They saw the wonder of the cross and the greatness of the work that you've done, Jesus. If that's you, then I have confidence to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. You paid the penalty due me for my sin. You rose to show that the penalty, the payment had been accepted. Jesus, come into my life and help me to follow you all the days of my life as a chosen, saved, and adopted son or daughter. Father, may I never boast, may I never glory, but in the cross of Christ. Lord, I celebrate, and I invite everyone here to celebrate their birthright that you have adopted us and given us the status, the standing of membership in your forever family. I thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.